gradually, I would decide I did not like to write essays. Maybe it was the experience I had just gone through, the expectation of the unknown grade in my paper, and someone judging my innermost thoughts. It may have been the subject matter. Political theory might have been over my head at that point in my studies. I couldn't focus. This led me to switch to a less intensive writing program, but related subject matter, economics. I found it fascinating and appreciated that there was mathematics involved with the subject. When I was a kid, I got a hold of a newspaper in the 88 metallic gray BMW 325 my father drove in Malaysia. We were in Malaysia for a project my father was on. It was a company vehicle. It was marketing an over-the-horizon radar system to the Malaysian Navy. Was this his big move? I wondered. My father wasn't a salesman. My father worked for a Canadian Crown Corporation. Nordco in Newfoundland. A Crown Corporation is one funded by the government to do a mixture of commercial and public policy objectives. It was what brought my family to Canada. My father was recruited by his boss at the Marine Lab in Aberdeen, Scotland, to take a position as manager at Nordco in St. John. While at the Marine Lab, my father had made the papers. In the 60s, my father would bring two double-decker buses together to demonstrate a new technique for net trawling. Nordco helped develop the Canada space arm that NASA used. Nordco was a huge concrete building covered in tinted windows in the middle of a forested area. While my mom and I were waiting for him in the car, I was looking at the stocks page in the newspaper. It was fascinating to see all those numbers and abbreviations for companies. I asked my mom what it was, and she explained the stock market in simple terms. I was captivated. I had started reading books in grade two. I read Enid Blyton's Secret Seven, Tom Dixon's The Hardy Boys, and the Tom Swift series, by Victor Appleton. I had been reading the famous Canadian author Gordon Corman, No Coins Please. He wrote about Artie's great plans to make money. On the cover of the book was a kid magician in a large crowd. I knew I wanted to get involved with this. I tried to think how I could be like this character in Gordon Corman's books. The next year, back in Newfoundland, in grade four, I come up with the idea of selling lottery tickets or 50-50 tickets to my classmates. It seemed like an amazing way to make money. In grade five, I got to skip a class and go to this special class where we looked at money and talked about bartering and thought about money. Odd. We also built paper airplanes. It was a special class. Chad was in it with me. Maybe that's what sparked my attention in economics. It also seemed like a more palatable degree for my father's approval. I only registered in the classes I was interested in. Because of my early years at university and being in a different program, many of my classes had been a write-off. I had wasted money and taken out student loans. To top it off, 
the tuition fees while I was at university increased each year. By the end of my studies, the tuition fee was double what it was when I started. It was sucking the life out of me like a cancer. Now I just wanted to graduate continued to work on the fishing boat all in it was five seasons in total by the end i hated it and to make matters worse that salary i made each summer got less and less when you think about it as an hourly wage and you are out there for the entire seven weeks or so it becomes really depressing no wonder fishermen fell for the bottle. Things had changed a bit, and I was hanging out with Dame, another Yukoner, who joined us and our circle. We became roommates for a year. He was studying computer science, and we both like guitar. In the summers, I would hang out with Eli and Dana in Surrey. We also hung out with more of Eli's friends. Mars joined our circle. Mars was a friend of Eli's at Marriott, a fiery redhead and scrappy baller with a nice jump shot from 12 to 15 feet. I liked playing ball with Mars. He had the scrappiness my high school teammates never had. We talk a bit of trash too. Eli was the best trash talker even though his ball fundamentals weren't great. Eli used his strength and intimidation to get guys off their game. It worked a bit. Eli would back me down hard aggressively. I didn't have the strength to stop that. He would back me down anytime he wanted. That's all he would do. Back me down till I was under the rim. Then he'd do a little layup. He was fucking lame. He had been a post player in high school. He was that guy that went to the boards to bang bodies down low. He did have a straight on set shot from free throw and three point. The three of us and Jay Money would hit some public parks. Jay Money was a big soft bear, but knew how to ball. We had game. We went out to Vancouver the night before I was flying with my parents to Sri Lanka. Bad idea. We had an epic night of drinking. That night, I would find a fist in my face. In the morning, my mom was shocked to wake me up with a black eye. I had to wear a big pair of aviator sunglasses to the airport. It was super bad. I was ashamed. I had failed my family. We had passed through UBC residences with J Money and crossed a frat house. One of the guys from the frat house insulted Mars and we got in a scuffle. I took a fist to the eye. I didn't want to go on that trip. That was the year the tsunami hit Thailand and also southern Sri Lanka. We were there in Colombo the day of it. We decided to drive into the city and go to the Hilton for lunch. When we were crossing a bridge right after the golf face green, people were gathered at the sides looking out. I couldn't tell what they were looking at. I couldn't tell what they were looking at, but apparently water had gone far out. By the time we had finished lunch, we heard the news. My aunt's place, about an hour south of where we were staying, was about 150 meters from the shore. Her backyard was filled about three feet with rubble. The water had come into the house a couple of feet as well. Fortunately, nobody in the family was injured. I think SJ called the Canadian embassy in Sri Lanka to see if I was all right or report if I was in Sri Lanka. Maybe he felt bad for leaving me on the fishing boat that night way back then. 
we had actually discussed about going south to a beach resort that week. It was only coincidental we decided to stay where we were and not drive south. When I came back, I would recount my story to Eli. We were sitting at his old school late one night. I recounted the story. Something else had also happened to me on that trip. During the time in Sri Lanka with my parents, we hired a driver. This was something reasonably priced at the time, and it came with the vehicle. Driving in Sri Lanka is a nightmare. The lines and rules are just a suggestion. It seems buses will overtake and play chicken with oncoming traffic. Oncoming traffic would be forced to pull over. My father didn't have patience on the road. He would curse these drivers. It was stressful. Getting a driver was practical. I had been to Sri Lanka many times. And this trip in particular was about seeing family, not necessarily going anywhere specifically. And after the tsunami, we couldn't really go to any beaches down south. I did some shopping, bought some books, computer games or software, pirated music or movies. Those things were cheap. Clothes there were also good. I had the driver take me to all the best spots. He was young, cool, not much older than me. He was married with a baby. We talked a bit. He asked about Canada. He was curious about life. I told him what I thought was interesting. I also mentioned ganja. I was curious. I knew in Sri Lanka it was highly illegal, but it was also a tropical island. So I thought I'd bring it up. He read my mind. He said he would hook it up. It was a shame because that afternoon was my last day out. I was leaving while my parents would be staying on. I would be leaving late that night at 2 a.m. He said not to worry. He would get it for the ride to the airport, which was about 50 minutes. I wasn't too sure about that, but I had no experience with the Sri Lankan flower. I had to give it a try. He would come back late that night. On the road, we would smoke. We would pull into a rest stop and I would get a Coke. I put eye drops in my eyes and sprayed on some cologne. I'd thank my driver and give him the remaining rupees I had on hand. At the time, Sri Lanka still was in a civil war. It wasn't until after the war on terror had been into full operations that the government would be able to suppress the Tamil Tigers. The airport was always full of military personnel with M16s. It was a little scary landing there at certain times during the Civil War. Sri Lanka had been known to be a home for suicide bombers. As an adult who had just been exposed to local flour, it was surreal. To even get into the airport, you have to go through an x-ray scanner with your baggage and walk through a metal detector. Once I was through, I lined up at the desk. I was about two hours early. The airport was quite quiet, I thought. Upon lining up second in waiting, someone else would line up behind me. Unlike other passengers, this man just had a briefcase. No check-in luggage. It was odd. This wasn't a short flight, I thought. I was going to Bangkok, then on to Vancouver. Additionally, even more spectacularly awkward was the fact he lined up no more than one foot behind me. It was close, real close. I could feel him breathing on me. 
Jeez, I know I'm in Asia, but this is too much. It's midnight in a dead airport and no one else is in the line. I was paranoid. The line moved quickly. I checked in. I went to go fill out the immigration declaration card. They were on a counter, scattered about. Half of them had been half written out. I grabbed a blank paper and started to fill it out. The same gentleman would shortly appear to my left. He would reach across my space, looking for a blank card. Feeling descended on, I quickly scanned for a blank sheet, grabbed it, and passed it to him. Here! this guy following me? I moved a sidestep and completed my form. I proceeded to immigration. There was a sports team going through. I tried to figure out what sport they played. Next, the immigration called on me. I handed my passport over. He looked at me. He read my last name aloud for my passport and looked up at me one eyebrow raised. Yes. I looked at him, slightly surprised, but confidently. I wasn't used to talking to immigration. Were these guys on to me? I realized what he was implying. My father's Sri Lankan. I'm here for a visit, I replied. Ah, he smiled. It was strange to see immigration smile. I smiled back. He stamped my passport and handed it back. Phew. I walked through the departure hall. You couldn't go into the departure rooms yet, as the flight had not arrived and the gate had not opened. I took a seat in the hall. I pulled open my novel. I was reading V.S. Naipaul, a writer of Indian descent that examined the life of Indian diaspora under colonial life. I always found I had a connection with the places he talked about. It embodied some of the senses that I felt whenever I visited Sri Lanka. I guess it was the colonial aspect of life and the inequalities that came out of it or the opportunities that lay in it for those that embraced it. I found where I last left off. Within moments of reading the first paragraph, my light would be blocked. Three gentlemen had approached and stopped two meters away, angled in my direction. Why? I was in the middle of the hall. No one had walked past my right side as I faced towards the middle. I looked up from the page. To my 10 o'clock was a gentleman in a suit, one military officer, and a soldier carrying an M16. I looked back down, casually drawing my eyes to the line I had just been reading. I started again. Holy shit, these guys are for me. That guy must have smelt the flower. That's why he was lined up to see me. That's why he was lined up so close to me. He worked for the airport. That's why he only had the briefcase. He reached across me to confirm the smell and maybe get a closer look at my body. He must think I'm trafficking narcotics. Oh shit. Wait, is this a test? I don't have anything illegal on me other than those pirated CDs, I thought. I could have a ton of stuff on my person. Hmm. I must have read the same line 10 times. I couldn't take the suspense. I took the offensive. I looked up at them and they looked at me. What? I said, they pointed behind me. They were waiting for the plane in the gate behind me to pull in. Eli laughed. He would give me a compliment. You tell good stories, he said, smiling. I laughed. I didn't think much of it at the time. Eli never gave out compliments. Since fishing hadn't been doing so well, I needed to make more money. It sucked trying to find work in Victoria. 
It seemed impossible. I did find a job helping a senior citizen. It ended being an emotionally draining gig. It was for a senior who was partially blind. He needed someone to type his correspondence. It was a sad situation, actually. The guy had been taken advantage of in Calgary. It seemed like he had lost his house. He had no support from his children. It seemed like he had been swindled big time. He was writing letters to anyone who might listen. City councilmen, lawyers, even the Knights of Malta. Was this guy a Freemason at one point? I wondered. I had to either go to his ground floor apartment and type what he dictated to me or transcribe from his writing. He had hundreds of letters. His writing was becoming illegible as he could hardly see. I don't know how he made it alone. He was eating canned food. His apartment was a mess. He didn't need me typing letters. He needed a caretaker. A couple of times, he took me to a diner he frequented. He was lonely and needed someone to talk to more than anything. There was no hope in those letters, but he wouldn't give up. It was sad in a way, I thought to myself. Why do you want to fight like this, your last year's living? Why don't you forget about it and just move on? I thought to myself. I didn't know the whole story. There was only so much I could piece together from typing the letters. I didn't know the reason his family had disowned him. What had happened to this family? I knew this man had grandchildren. Out of respect, I didn't ask. Later, I would discover life is not so black and white. It required a lot of patience for me to deal with him. I did my best. I always respected my elders. I knew my typing was in vain, but I did my duty to the best of my ability. That kind of money wasn't consistent, so I gave it up. I didn't want to leave that man hanging, but I had to live my life. I hope he found a way to reunite with his family. I met a girl during that time who would bring some kind of stability and joy into my life that year. Lara. I met her at a nightclub. She had a style that just pulled me in. It was a skater, snowboarding, hippie look she had. Lara liked to hang with Mary Jane. Lara was down to earth. I could really be myself with her. She had OCD. I guess she found difficulty with her identity and acceptance as well. I developed strong feelings for Lara. Lara wasn't so academically inclined. She was attending school at Camosun. We remained together that year. Lara also didn't have so much direction in her life. She was working at Alibaba Pizza. As one of the perks, she would get great pizza to bring home. We both loved pizza. I loved Lara. By the summer, she was moving back to stay with her parents in Alberta. I rented a car and we packed all her stuff into it. I almost fell asleep at the wheel crossing the mountains in the snow. I helped her move back home. I ended up breaking up with her. I didn't have the emotional strength to keep a long-distance relationship with her. I would see her once before I embarked on my journey overseas. We had made a connection. 